We're going to look at the scripture in just a moment, but before we do that, I want to speak just a moment to the things that have been going on in our nation this past week and really for a long time. Many of us know this past week has been filled with a lot of pain and turmoil and difficulty, specifically surrounding the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I want to read a statement written by the president of the Southern Baptist Convention and co-authored with the president of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, Jamie Dew. This is what it reads. As a convention of churches committed to the equality and dignity of all people, Southern Baptists grieved the death of George Floyd, who was killed May 25, 2020, in Minneapolis. While all must grieve, we understand that in the hearts of our fellow citizens of color, incidents like these connect to a long history of unequal justice in our country, going back to the grievous Jim Crow and slavery eras. The images and information we have available to us in this case are horrific and remind us that there is much work to be done to ensure that there is not even a hint of racial inequity in the distribution of justice in our country. We grieve to see examples of the misuse of force and call for these issues to be addressed with speed and justice. While we certainly thank God for our law enforcement officers that bravely risk their lives for the sake of others, and most of which uphold justice with dignity and integrity, we also lament when some of those misuse their authority and bring unnecessary harm on the people that are called, they are called to protect. We further grieve with our minority brothers and sisters in the wake of George Floyd's death, pray for his family and friends, and greatly desire to see the misuse of force and any inequitable distributions of justice come to an end. Throughout the Old and New Testaments, the Bible speaks to matters of justice and human dignity. We are taught by Scripture that human beings are distinct among the rest of creation as those which bear the divine image. From the beginning of life to the end, all human beings, both male and female, of all ethnicities, colors, and ages, are sacred beings that God values and loves. Throughout the law, the prophets, the gospels, and the entire canon of Scripture, murder is condemned and God's people are called to protect the vulnerable. The Bible further condemns injustice and the misuse of authority and force. And in the example of Jesus Christ, God's people are called to love others, care for their needs, grieve with them in brokenness, and labor for the well-being of our neighbor. To follow Christ is to follow in these examples he put before us. Therefore, as a matter of Christian obedience and devotion, followers of Jesus Christ cannot remain silent when our brothers and sisters, friends, and or people we seek to win for Christ are mistreated, abused, or killed unnecessarily. Therefore, we pray for our local, state, and national leaders as they seek justice and call upon them to act quickly and diligently to ensure that these situations are brought to an end. As a people, Southern Baptists stand ready to help towards that end. May God give us his favor, help, and strengthen us all in this effort. And as we think through that, I want to take just a moment and pray. I want to pray a prayer of lament in light of all that's going on in our country. And I realize that I could pray a prayer of lament over many different things, but this particularly seems fresh and essential that we pray. So let's pray now together.
Lord, we come before you this morning deeply troubled and grieved over the ongoing brokenness of sin in the world. Lord, the trouble of this world is painful and real. It's real in our own lives. It's real in our communities, our cities, our neighborhoods. The events of this past week, indeed the events of these past few months and further back than that, continue to reveal, Lord, the ongoing struggle we have in our nation concerning the evil of racism and racial injustices that impact so many in our minority communities. Father, we grieve with the family of George Floyd, whose life was taken so brutally and terribly in Minneapolis this past week. May you bring comfort and peace to his family. Lord, we pray for the police officers directly involved in his death, that you would allow justice to prevail, and yet in the midst of that justice, that they might experience your saving grace that comes through Jesus Christ. Lord, we have entire communities and cities who are deeply hurting today. While in no way do we condone the violent rioting that has emerged in recent days, we can't help but acknowledge the pain and hurt that so many of our minority friends and neighbors feel. Many of our black and brown friends, our fellow believers, our neighbors, co-workers, they feel unheard, they feel overlooked. And the truth is, Lord, they often are. Lord, how long will our black and brown brothers and sisters have to feel this pain and hurt of not being heard and not being seen? God, we turn to you with hearts broken because of misunderstanding and hurts that they feel. We pray that our minority brothers and sisters would pour out their hearts when they are wounded and hurt. And with confidence, we continue to lean into the conversation. We pray that our white brothers and sisters would embrace the beautiful image of what it means to be one in Christ and what it means to consider others more important than ourselves. Help us to be quick, Lord, to listen and slow to speak and slow to post. Jesus, we trust and we know that you are the only one that can be, bring true and lasting change. You're the one who can bring ultimate unity. You're the one that can heal historic pain and division. In the midst of this hurt and chaos, Lord, we ask that you would allow your church to be a place of healing and refuge. Lord, it's through the gospel and it's in the church where the walls of hostility are broken down and you make us one. Lord, even in that, the sad reality is that the church in the past has often been part of the problem and not the solution. So we ask and we plead for you to make your church a beautiful, diverse community where trusting people can lean into relationships and choose to love each other despite our differences. Lord, help us in this nation that is experiencing so much unrest and chaos. Help those of us who are white to be quick to listen and slow to speak, to be in a posture of humility towards our minority brothers and sisters who are hurting. Help our black brothers and sisters to be heard. Help them to persevere in the strength of your spirit. Lord, even when our experiences and perspectives may be different, allow the gospel to unite us together in love for one another. Lord, would you hear our prayers? Would you hear the cries of your people? And would you bring justice forth? Bring healing to our communities and cities. We know the gospel is our ultimate hope. We know that the gospel is what brings transformation. And so, Lord, would you bring that about 
Transformation in individuals, transformation in neighborhoods and communities and cities will not happen in lasting ways apart from the gospel of grace. So we pray to that end. We pray that your spirit would move and that the gospel would go forth in ways that brings this transformation and unity about. Lord, have mercy upon us. Hear our cries and guide us that we may be your people in a broken world pointing to true and lasting hope. We pray this all in Jesus' name. midst of a heavy week, thought it was somewhat providential that we come to the text that we come to today. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 through 36 is our text. And you know, as you think about the events of this past week and months and even years, folks, we realize that these things continue to expose underlying divisions in our nation. We watch as people's lives are brutally taken. We watch as violence occurs. It's all a reminder of the brokenness, of the sinfulness, of the evil that exists in our world. It's a reminder that our divisions often run deeper than we care to admit and that our brokenness is complex. So then, how does the Christian live? How do believers live in light of this brokenness, in light of the the hostility that exists in the world? How does the Christian approach a world marked with division, with hatred, with evil? Well, one thing that we know is quite clear from the scripture is that we are called to love. Here in the Gospel of Luke chapter 6, as we continue to make our way through this Gospel, we come to this passage today as Jesus continues to instruct his disciples on this kingdom ethic, what it means to be his followers. What does it look like for Jesus' followers to, to reflect his character in this world? We come to a passage that describes our posture towards, especially towards those who are opposed to us. Listen as I read in the Gospel of Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 27. Jesus is speaking and we read, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. The one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies, 
and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. I don't know that it would be an understatement to say that what we read here in this text this morning are some of the most difficult and radical words Jesus utters to his disciples. Love your enemies. How in the world are we to do that? Let's pray and ask God's help to see it. Father, would you open our eyes and ears now to hear your word? Your Holy Spirit would come and apply the truth to our hearts and transform our lives that we may glorify you in loving our enemies. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I would say that this passage, though difficult and radical, radical in contrast to what the world would expect, is a needed word. We need to hear Jesus' instructions to loving our enemies, especially as the culture around us continues just to implode The more that we follow Jesus in this world, the more we're going to be opposed. We don't wake up in the morning to see who we can offend. I I hope that's not your default. Let me just see who I can hack off today with my faith. No, but the reality of the matter is, is that the more you seek and strive to follow Jesus, the more you're going to stand opposed in this world. And yet he calls us to love those who oppose us, those who are our enemies. So as we look at this passage, just the big idea that comes from this is that we're called to a radical love. We're called to love in an extraordinary way. You think about all that's going on and all that that we face just with, with opposition in life today and Love, love can be difficult, but loving our enemies seems impossible. It's Martin Luther King Jr. who actually said, love is the only force capable of turning an enemy into a friend. So what does that look like? What does Jesus command us to do in loving our enemies? In order to get at this command, we're going to look at in a couple of different ways. We're gonna see, first of all, who we're called to love. We're gonna see how we're called to love them. And then number three, why we're called to love. All right, first of all, understand who we're called to love. We know that from many other passages of scripture that we are called, commanded, expected to love God and to love others. Love God with all that we are, that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. that we are to love others. We're to love people around us. And now Jesus continues to expand on that a bit as he calls us to love our enemies. And he continues to flip upside down our expectations of what it means to follow him. Just last week, we saw how he's talking about how blessed are you who are poor, blessed are you who are hungry, etc. And woe to you who are rich, woe to you who are well-liked and those kinds of things. And now he continues to explain this kingdom ethic as he commands us to love our enemies. This does not fit the mold of conventional wisdom. Love your enemies. 
mean, really? You're asking me to love people that want, that, that stand against me, that stand opposed to me, that want not my good but my harm? You want me to love them? Are you serious? Yes, he's serious. Now, as we read this passage, I think it's important to note that what seems to be the context of these verses is the context of persecution primarily. Although, I think that when you understand how we respond to our persecutors, that the same principles are at play in loving those who may be opposed to us in different ways for different reasons. And you know, this command is, is really one that I think had a great impact on the early disciples because you see it show up in their writings. Jesus is not the only one that said this. It shows up in other writings and, and, or in other examples. Think about the stoning of Stephen when he was dying in Acts chapter 7, being stoned to death. As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And the dude is dying at their hands, and he's crying out, don't hold this sin against them. That is loving your enemies. Romans 12, verses 16 and following, Paul He talks about many different things in that chapter. He says, live in harmony, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And then Peter in 1 Peter 3, verse 9 says, do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary... Bless for this, for to this you were called. So again, you see the words that Jesus had to say here, these, these difficult, these seems radical words of instruction to love our enemies certainly had an impact upon the disciples as they sought to live out their lives. Brothers and sisters, we are going to have people who oppose us for a variety of different reasons. People are going to oppose you for your faith. And I would just say that if you do not have opposition because of your faith in some form, you're probably not living out the life that Christ has called you to live. Again, I'm not saying wake up in the morning and go see who you can just make mad today because of your faith. But I will say when you take your faith serious, when you take following Jesus as your greatest pursuit in life, it's going to offend people. Obeying Jesus looks radically different than obeying the world. And it's going to clash. And people are going to speak against you. People are going to oppose you. People are going to persecute you. People are going to hate you. I agree this command seems impossible to keep. In fact, We know that it is, apart from God's grace. When we have people stand against us, everything in us wants to push back. And nothing about us naturally wants to love them. There's often several different responses to those who stand in opposition, speaking in the context of Christians. 
when people oppose believers, there tends to be two approaches, two responses. One, those in the church who love conflict. They They love conflict, and they love to argue, and they love to fight. The more enemies we have, the better. And they lash out with equal hostility against their opposition. Try to overdo them, outdo them in, in their anger. You got those. Then you have those who don't like conflict, and thus they will avoid their enemies. Either by ignoring them or by undermining the truth so that we don't have enemies. Well, maybe if I don't live this way, I'll have fewer enemies. Friends, the reality is, is that Jesus assumes, Jesus assumes we will have enemies. And our response is not to lash out in anger, nor is our response to ignore them or to pretend they don't exist. Our response is, he gives here, is a call to love. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Clear words. So, okay, we see Jesus commands us to do that. We're to love our enemies. The who? We're we're called to love our enemies. Called to love our neighbors, and those neighbors include enemies. But how? How do we love them? Jesus moves from the general attitude of loving enemy to explaining specific ways of how we can actually do that. So how do we go about loving those who are extremely difficult to love? Those who irritate us, those who frustrate us, those who anger us, those who are hostile towards us, those who disturb us, on and on we can go. How do we love them? One of the glorious things about our Savior is he not only gives us commands, he gives us help explains how. The first thing that we see here is that, I think by implication of what's being said in this passage, one of the ways that you begin to love even your enemies is this. First of all, look to the gospel. Look to the gospel. Jesus is addressing disciples. Go back to verse 20. 20. He lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, so this sermon is being delivered primarily to his disciples. So he's addressing Christians. And in verse 27, notice what he says. He uses this phrase that often pops up in Jesus' teaching. He says, but I say to you who hear. I say to you who hear. It's a similar phrase in other places that we hear. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. This phrase is calling upon the hearers not only to hear, but to respond to what's being given them. And those who are in that position are those who have been given grace. If you drop down at the bottom, we're going to pick up this verse at the very end here in just a few minutes. But he says, be merciful even as your father is merciful. He's talking about those who, your father in heaven, those who are related to your father. Be like him. Be merciful as he's been merciful to you. The first thing that we do is we must ground ourselves firmly and fully in the gospel. Those who are able to love like this are those who have been loved like this. Romans 5, 
Verse 8, that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more shall we be saved by his life. Paul understands that by our nature, because of our human depravity, because of our own sin, that we were separated from God. Not only separated from God, we were his enemies. Enemies of God. And yet God in his mercy and grace gave himself through the sending of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come and live the life we should have lived, obedient to the law, and yet died upon the cross, bearing our guilt and our sin and our shame, forgiving us and making enemies, friends, reconciling us to him. Brothers and sisters, the first place that you must go to whenever you're struggling to apply this command, to love your enemies, to love those who hate you and speak against you, is you must first and foremost run to the gospel and look to what God has done for us. What reason did we give him to love us? Nothing. We were his enemies. And had he not loved his enemies, we would not be in the position we are today to relish his grace, to rejoice in this wonderful salvation and in the Savior who gave himself to die for us. And friend, if you're here today and you're not following Jesus, you're watching live stream and you're not following Jesus, understand this. Understand that if you're not a Christian, that you are in fact an enemy of God. But God demonstrated his love for his enemies by sending his son into the world. And if you would look to Christ and believe in him, you will be saved. Your sins will be forgiven. So friend, we would urge you and plead with you today that if that is your state, that you can know, that we don't want you to remain an enemy of God. We want you to enjoy the salvation, and the gift of grace, this reconciliation that God gives through his son. Look to Christ. So first and foremost, look to the gospel. Number two, commit to specific actions. And Jesus lays them out here for us. Love your enemies, he says. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Do good to those who hate you. Our responsibility to love our enemy is more than just an intellectual feeling or attitude towards them. When you hear Jesus say, love your enemy, it's not just internalize that love and just kind of, okay, I love my enemy, but I'm not going to have anything to do with him. He says, do good to those who hate you. We're called to do good. Paul's example in Romans 12, feed them if they're hungry, give them drink if they're thirsty. Serving our enemy in practical ways, being nice. He says, bless those who curse you. Again, I think of when Jesus died on the cross, he cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Stephen picked up on that and said pretty much the same thing as, as he died. Blessing those. Praying for those who abuse you. One of the best ways, one of the best ways to have your heart grow towards those who oppose you and who stand against you is to pray for them. Pray for the Lord to bless them and their work. Pray for their lives to encounter the goodness of God. In his book, A Call to Spiritual Reformation, D.A. Carson said, all of us would be wiser if we would resolve never to put people down 
except on our prayer list. Pray for those who abuse you. After Jesus gives these specific commands and examples of how to love, he gives us some examples. He, very familiar examples. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. The one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and, uh, and from those who take away your goods, do not demand them back. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Turn the other cheek. It's a common practice in ancient Israel that would often that an insult would often in, involve the, the the back of a hand, and could mean it could be that he has in mind here this public rejection from the synagogue. Not withholding your tunic, the, the undershirt. If they take your cloak, don't withhold your the garment underneath. The picture here may be one of robbery. When one is taking advantage of the other, one shouldn't take vengeance, especially when you're engaged in the purposes of the gospel. Give to everyone who begs you. Again, you see this posture of generosity. Don't demand stolen goods back. Again, showing that we're not seeking retribution for wrongs done to us. Now, you hear these examples, and our inquisitive nature or our um, tendency is, well, what about this situation? What about that situation? Does he really mean this in every situation in a literal sense? And if you're being robbed, should you not get, try to get yourself out of that situation? And, being taken advantage of, should you not try to stop that somehow? Does this apply to all situations fully and equally? I think one of the things we need to understand when we come to a passage like this, when you ex look at these examples on the whole, you can see that Jesus is illustrating and explaining a fundamental principle that reaches into many areas of our life. He is, in essence, saying this ought to be the default posture of how you respond when people are mistreating you. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to find safety if you're being physically harmed or, or a number of other things. So don't take Jesus' words here and apply them to terrible situations so, well, you're just supposed to endure it. Again, I think a lot of this context has to do with Christian persecution, especially in light of advancing the gospel mission. But I think the fundamental principle here, he, in essence, he's, he's saying these radical words, these hard to, to receive and hard to live out words because he's wanting that to be our default posture, that we would not be quick to seek vengeance, that we would not be quick to, to right wrongs. How we treat others, especially our enemies, is to look radically different than the world's ethic. Because we're a people that are to reflect the character of our Heavenly Father. Again, our default reaction should not be to seek vengeance, even at, or, or to even at times be fine with others taking advantage of our generosity. We're called to have wisdom. you see that Jesus commits us. He, he, he's committing us to these specific actions as a way to express love as we seek to do good, as we seek to bless, as we, as we pray for, as we seek to 
at times endure mistreatments and, and not to, to try to, to, to push back. He's not calling us to be a doormat. He's calling us to reflect his character and to patiently trust. And then number three, another way that we do this is we look to the gospel as we commit to these specific actions and behaviors. Doing good, blessing, praying for. We also need to recall the golden rule. Verse 31, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Brothers and sisters, we love to receive grace and extend justice. But Jesus reminds here, reminds us here of the golden rule that we're to treat others as you prefer, as I prefer to be treated. We need to be in the position of treating others, including our enemies, with the same sensitivity and respect that one would wish for themselves. As we have, we have those in our lives who have betrayed us, those who have wounded us, those who have made it really difficult on us. And our tendency is to cast them aside and to dust off our hands and move on. But Jesus calls us to give the same sensitive consideration to others that one might want others to give them. So I just want to ask you to think right now. Who is your enemy? Are there people with whom you've grown bitter, frustrated, angry towards? Are there people who oppose you, who dislike you? Friends, there, there are going to be lots of people who dislike you for a variety of different reasons. What's your posture towards such people? Are you quick to argue with them? Are you quick to avoid them? Are you fast to cast them aside and write them off? Brothers and sisters, how are you living in light of this command to love your enemies? I don't pretend that it's easy. I don't pretend to have all the answers to all your questions about this situation and that situation. There are going to be, and I don't think it's Jesus' intent here to address every situation in life. There are other biblical commands that we have that deal with specific issues where we might have to consider as well in light of one of the best ways that we love our enemies as maybe not having something to do with them at all. I mean, there's examples of that. And so you, you have to understand the complexity of this. But again, I think his, his, his command here is to have this default posture of loving our enemies. Number three, and I think this is probably going to help us here most is understand why, number three, understand why we're called to love. Why would Jesus call us to do something so difficult and so counter to what the norm is? A few things he highlights here at the end of these verses. First reason is that a love like this makes us distinct in the world. Look at verses 32 through 34. After Jesus gives these very difficult commands, he, he says, well, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? 
percenters do the same. And if you lend to those from you, excuse me, if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. And then he says in verse 35, but love your enemies. Notice what Jesus, he's, he's, he's making a contrast. He's saying, the love I'm calling you to is different than the love that you see in the world. Non-Christian, ungodly people can love their children. The love I'm calling to you is a, is a distinct love. There, there's nothing distinctly Christian, although all love is distinctly godly because it comes from God, but there's nothing distinctly Christian about loving others that are easy to love, meaning that anyone can love someone or care for someone that's easy to, to care for. What benefit is that? Christian love goes beyond the norm and what we would expect. It, it shows that we're not ultimately dependent upon the things of this world, but rather we're dependent upon Christ. It makes us distinct. It separates us from, from the rest of the world. It marks us off as different. That's exactly what Jesus is, is alluding to here as he makes that distinction between us and sinners. So it makes us distinct from the world. Number two, it secures a reward. Look at verse 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. The reward will be great. I know sometimes we get a little, should we obey Jesus because we know we're going to get an award? Right? I used to be one of those parents that were like anti Rewarding your kids for obedience, right? Like, they ought to obey because I told them to obey, period. So we get a little nervous when we start seeing things of do this and your reward will be great. And we start to, we go, is this, should I do this because I know I'm going to be blessed by it, by God? Yes. God honors and recognizes this kind of love. And listen, he's promising you that you are going to be rewarded for this kind of love far beyond anything that you're going to lose in this life by loving your enemies. It secures an award, a reward for us. Number three, similar to number one, but I think a little different, is it confirms our status. It goes on and says, the reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Listen, when we love those who are ungrateful and evil, those who are hostile towards us, those who are our enemies, we show that we belong to our Father. Sometimes I will hear people say to my kids, you're acting just like your dad. And that's not always a compliment. I get nervous when I hear people say that. To my children, like, you're acting just like your dad. I, I kind of wince a little bit. Well, that's never the case. If people say, would it be our hope and our prayer that they would say that about us reflecting our heavenly father? You're, you're acting just like God. Sounds like something Jesus would do. Sounds like something your father in heaven would do. Praise God for that. That we would reflect 
his character, that we would, that we would confirm, that, that we would show the, the confirmation of who we are, that we belong to, to the Lord by the way that we love others. So when we love our enemies and treat the ungrateful and evil with kindness, we do good to them, we bless them, we pray for them. We don't demand things back that they may take from us and those kinds of things. We, we treat them with generosity and grace and mercy. We are acting just like our heavenly father when we do that. And that's a good thing. And brothers and sisters, the converse is true. When we demand, when we argue, when we give back what we've received, we're not acting like our Father. Loving this way uniquely marks you out as a child of God. Number four, building right onto that is it reflects God's character. The reason it's good for us to love our enemies is it reflects the character of God. Yes, it marks us off as distinct and as his children, but it also resembles his character in this world. Verse 36, he says, be merciful even as your father is merciful. So this characteristic, this attribute of God, of God being merciful, when we extend that same mercy to ungrateful, evil, unkind people mistreating us, when we extend mercy to them, we are reflecting the character and attribute of God. As hard as it can be to love our enemies, we are called to do it because it honors the Father in heaven. It honors his character. It reflects his character. We are not only showing that we belong to him, but we are showing the world what he is like. It's as if we are an advertisement, a walking billboard of what God is like when we extend mercy to the ungrateful and the unkind. If you withhold mercy and you lash out in anger and vengeance, seek vengeance, you are making a statement about the God you serve. And it's a wrong statement. But if you extend mercy, then you are reflecting God's character truthfully to those who might be the very means. And that might be the very means God uses to bring such person to faith in Christ. Here's the hard reality we all must confront. The reality is this, is that we are often, all of us, often selfish with regard to our love. We struggle to love selflessly within the community of believers, much less loving our enemies. The call to love our neighbor, yes, even our enemy, is not a suggestion or recommendation. It is a biblical command. It is our responsibility, our calling to love this way. Friends, again, I just ask you to consider right now who it is you may be failing to love this way. A true enemy, someone who dislikes you, someone you don't like. Whatever reason, maybe, maybe it's because of your faith. Maybe there's hostility in your relationship with them because you want to follow Jesus, you want to obey Christ, you want to bring glory to God, and they could give a rip what it means to follow Jesus. And there's conflict because of that. What about those, maybe on a lesser scale, they, they just irritate you. You don't necessarily see them as an enemy, but ugh. 
He's frustrated. There's this low-grade frustration just exists when you're in their presence. You just feel annoyed when you see them. How can you love them? What about those with whom you disagree? Maybe there's not hostility. Maybe there is, but maybe there's not hostility. Maybe you have disagreements politically, theologically. Maybe, you, maybe you've sensed a, a growing divide between you and others on certain things and perspectives you have about this world and different viewpoints, and you've allowed that, that disagreement and those disagreements just to fester in you so that you just kind of see yourself drifting away from maybe even a brother or sister. Friends, how can you love them? I see more arguing and infighting in the church than a lot of other places. I'm not saying here, redeeming grace. We all have our opinions and our perspectives. It's, 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 listen, it's easy to make an enemy. It's easy to make an enemy. It requires much grace and strength given by the Holy Spirit to love them. Friends, you may have a list of reasons as to why you don't love others. But as you consider those reasons, I would urge you to consider Jesus' commands. Consider this call today of what you can do to move towards such people in love and grace and mercy. We live in a world that's often hostile and opposed to the gospel we believe the gospel we believe in, the Savior we serve. We, we live in a world with opposition. There are people in this world that you just don't get, and there are people in this world that they just don't get you. So how do we treat them? We love them. Who we love matters. How we love them matters and why we love them matters and our suffering in this world the opposition we may face will be hard you will be insulted you will be rejected people will have all kinds of things to say about you brothers and sisters at the end of the day the most important thing that can be said about you is when you stand before your heavenly father and he looks upon you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. May the Lord help us by his grace to love, yes, even our enemies. Let's pray together. Father, we acknowledge that this command is difficult, if not impossible. Lord, there's not a person that reads it that's not immediately convicted of where we have failed to love in this way. Lord, as we've been mistreated, we've mistreated others. As we've been opposed, we've opposed. As others have lashed out against us, we've lashed out against them. Lord, we failed at loving our enemies. 
countless times. Father, would you forgive us and would you work in us the grace needed by the Holy Spirit who indwells us? Would you work in us this this enemy love that we have been called to that reflects your character and glory that is well beyond anything that we can muster up in ourselves. But Lord, as we look to your grace, as we look to the, the, the presence of the Spirit in our lives, would you help us to do this? Father, would you make Redeeming Grace Baptist Church a people who love our enemies well and forgive us when we have failed to do so? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.